Welcome back, listeners, to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Reunited at once. Uh, all four of your co-hosts are back, and we're ready to roll. DC, Jack, DY, and of course, Lawrence. How you boys been? You just miss me? So much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Restless nights. Yeah, well, it was funny because I was actually speaking to Nicole, DC, and she said that, you know, you were having a direct carryover to training performance and poor sleep quality. Is this true? Oh, mate. Yeah, I was losing sleep over it, 100%. Yeah, training quality was down. It's just, uh, it was just... Libido so, so, was shot. Love <laughs> story, eating those, uh, eating those, you know, Zinger burgers without mayo. It's just like, I was like, where's Dan, man? I want to share yeah. burgers with you, bro. Don't be laughing too hard there, Jack. T was telling me that you heard you crying in the uh, podcast room <laughs> after the last podcast. I I'm, want to I'm... directly quote this. I just can't wait for big bat, big puppy to come back already. Is this true? <laughs> I can't can't confirm or deny that. All right, all right. So how you boys been? Let's. Uh, I want to do a little bit of a catch up because I know two of you boys uh, are on the mini cut right now. What about you, Lawrence? How you tracking? Mate, I'm fantastic. And all jokes aside, it's wonderful to have you back. Lovely to hear your voice again. Um, but the mini cut's going well, mate. I'm about a week and a little bit deep, and I'm you know probably. Uh, you know, keel on a bit down already, obviously shifting the water and shifting the glycogen and, and stomach contents are going to be part of that. But it's interesting how you just automatically you enter that deficit and you can just see certain spots tighten up, and especially around the abs of just not quite being as bloated from shoveling down like 4,000 plus calories. So I'm pretty pleased with how it's gone. Like hunger levels are, are essentially unchanged. It's just nice to not have to pack away so much food throughout the day. And it's going to be a relatively short mini cut, like we were thinking four weeks, five weeks at the at the most. So I suppose we're at the stage where we're kind of already, you know, two-fifths away through it. And I think if we could get down to, you know, the low 90s or, or the 90 on the dot, I think that'd be a good place to be. And then we can just sensibly gain up until we eventually need to prep. So yeah, it's been crazy, man, especially with WMBF location and dates coming out. Like, it's all starting to feel very, very real now, which is exciting. Just what's the show, too? Now you're all keen for it one yeah, year mate, out. Chomping at the bit. Hey, like, yeah. so, so pumped. It's going to be it's awesome. crazy. It's, it's always funny, like, when you go into a mini cut, and, like, one week in, you're, like, one and a half kilos down. Your waist is down, like, three centimeters. Little lines are popping back in. Just happens so quickly, especially once you definitely drop that food volume. Yeah. And I think for me, it's always around the midsection. Like it's always the place that probably noticeably gets tighter, quicker, but then it is also the first place that starts to look blurry and, and fluffy when the food comes back in. So it's an interesting one, but I suppose I'm pretty happy with where body composition has been at the whole off season. Like, you know, there's always been some etching of abdominals there, which I think is generally a good thing for males. And yeah, I just think if we can be in a really good shooting point when we're 23 weeks out at the start of next April um, and hopefully come into that show one pretty much bang on. And then we've pretty much got like a two month competing window because show one, I believe will be September 9th. And if all goes to plan, we'll finish up on November 18th, 19th. So it's going to be big, but I think we can do it in a way that we're smart about it. And we make sure that we're not just, you know, pulling a carcass along to worlds all i'm gonna say is that's gonna be spicy an eight-week carryover of pretty much shows yes Oof. yeah will be but mate no. i was gonna i was gonna say to you actually i um i couldn't help but see and also happy birthday whilst you're away thank you thank um you. but i couldn't help but watch alana's story with the with your birthday shenanigans you see the the rose petals on the bed <laughs> at, at any stage did you think this girl's about to drop the knee. <laughs> I'm no, about I, to cop this proposal. No, 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 no. I, I, I knew. I, I, don't, I don't think Lani's the person to drop the knee. Um, but no, <laughs> I, like, I didn't. I didn't do it. No, I, I didn't think about it um, at all. I was like, I was more surprised. I was like, wait, what the heck? Because I didn't expect it. Like, I didn't know that was going down. Um, but yeah, it was, just, it was, it caught me so off guard. Cause I was like, wait, what the hell? Someone's been in our room. And I like looked, I was like, there's like a million candles. I was like, that's why you saw the video. Obviously she knew. Yeah. But you walk nah, in, you're like, is this the wrong room? We just walked into the wrong room. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Well, she got me. Cause when we pulled up into the, uh, 
like the apartment or whatever it is, like the little uh, cave, there's like a top level um, with like a staircase to go up there. It's like a whole second bedroom where it's like a whole second level. So she went up there first and she's like, what the hell? Like we're in a shared room. There's like someone above. And I, I thought, I thought it was legit. I was like, wait, what the, I'm not spending this entire time sharing a bloody room with someone. So I walked up there and there's no one even in there. It's like, she got me hard, but yeah. In a different way. <laughs> bad choice of words, my bad. That's all right. All the deets, man. We're all about yeah. it. Oh, geez. What about, um, Lawrence, so what are the cows starting at? Are they starting at pretty much the same as what you did on the last mini? Uh, yeah, fairly similar, mate. I think 250 pro, 400 carb, and 70 fat. And then on a training day, we just reduce it by a further 30 carb and five fat. So really nothing to complain about. It's still more than enough food. And if anything, I'm still kind of like, Ugh. like I don't even want, don't even want that to be fair. But um, no, nah, it's fine, mate. Nothing to be stressed about. Yeah, I'm pretty much like bang on my macros right now. And you're pretty much mini cutting. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I can already start. Like I was even because, you know, Gemma and I, like we always chat throughout the day. And, you know, when we're just like, send one of those like standard pictures like a selfie to each other and even then i'm sort of thinking i think the chin's already starting to tighten up a little bit so mate coming into christmas i'll be looking fresh for christmas dinner and then put it all back on you're getting that dy fit jawline that's what you mm, said to you wasn't it mate no that's actually yeah that's a plastic surgeon job to get that <laughs> dy fit jawline we know that you're starting to look a little bit less like a lawrence a little bit more like a chad mate with that jawline <laughs> right there <laughs> that big <laughs> i'm going the wrong way then aren't i i need to go oh. back what about you dc what's the plan for the mini um so i'm sitting at three weeks three weeks into my mini cart i've dropped three kilos so i'm sitting in the 93s right now started obviously the 96s um my cows right now are sitting around the 2500 so I'm, I'm pulling pretty hard in terms of my my cows there sitting at around 230 protein 300 carb i think about 50 fats so I'm not incredibly active. So I'm, I'm still stepping around sort of 6,000 steps per day and I'm still losing about a kilo a week. So it's kind of happy days at the moment. I'd rather, if I can, keep my steps a little bit lower and not have to slog a really high step count and just kind of pull a little bit harder from nutrition at the moment because uh, obviously big days with, with, um, with coaching and things like that. But uh, training performance is in a fantastic spot. I haven't noticed any degradation of my performance at all in fact i've gotten stronger across most of my lifts in the last couple of weeks so yeah hold, holding on to things very very nicely i'm anticipating that i'll i'll have to run this mini cart probably for another at least two weeks i want to pretty much sit around the 91 91 mark so and i may extend that just a little bit longer to perhaps the six weeks so between five to six weeks is where i'm going to sit my mini cart for, for the moment but um I haven't really noticed any big ramp up in hunger or anything like that. So I'm kind of cruising at the moment. And that to me is an indication I can take this a little bit further. So once I start to, to notice a ramp up of my you know hunger signaling and, and my days start getting a little bit more challenging, then I'm probably getting towards that little bit like that lower intervention point where I'd probably cap it. So I'm kind of riding the wave at the moment, but um, yeah, that's where things are at, man. Cruisy. Yeah. For me, it's like once I get to that point where like performance probably nearly starts going backwards and you're not being able to hold it, like in that mini cut, especially like, you know, I find once you hit like that six, especially like seven, eight week mark, it's like the training performance gets to a point where it, there is no progression. Like for the first four weeks of it, I can nearly still progress. But then it's like when it comes to like those last couple of weeks, it's like a real struggle to hold on. Do you change anything with your actual training program? Like in the mini cut, did you like align it up perfectly? Like, you know, start a new training program when you actually started your like mini cut? Mm, I don't think so. No, I think I was a few weeks into my program when I commenced my mini cut. Nothing really, nothing really changes whatsoever. And I also think that because like I'm ample body fats in the off season that, you know, simply running a short dieting stint shouldn't really be that significant to see a massive degradation to my training performance you'd hope so, right? If I'm still, if I'm yeah. getting ample amounts of sleep, uh, my calories are low, but they're not like, you know, we're not, we're not talking 120 carb or something like that. Like I can still prioritize a good amount of my, you know, my, my carbohydrates around, around my training window. So yeah, nothing really to consider with regards to an adjustment from a programming front. I mean, if I was in a contest prep and perhaps if I was transitioning towards 
the later weeks of that contest prep, you know, let's, let's say I'm sub 10 weeks or 12 weeks or something along those lines, then maybe I would start to make considerations to exercise selection to bias movements that have a better risk to reward ratio. You know what I mean? So if there's certain things that I'm just absolutely dragging ass, if I'm, if I'm performing an RDL and I'm feeling it in just not the correct areas, then perhaps I need to, to adjust my exercise selection um, a little bit, like even just things such as like bench pressing, right? The fat pad on your back, when you're trying to bench press, you just feel a little bit less stable. So perhaps transitioning to a few machine-based stuff might be the, the go-to, but at this stage for me, no, nothing that changes. Yeah. Very nice. I just remember on like the back end of prep, like doing bench press and my arms were just so shaky because I just lost like all like supportive body fat of those joints. It was just, it was funny. It was just, you start mm. bench press is so smooth. And I'm trying to keep the whole same weight the entire way through and you're just shaking like a leaf. Yeah, exactly. Even like squat patterns, right? So, yeah. I mean, I squat to the point where my, my hamstrings pretty much hit, hit my calves. But if I am doing that in a contest prep, I'm getting even lower, right? Because there's less kind of fat to, uh, to, to subcutaneous fat to kind of bounce off. So everything feels hell of a lot unstable. And that's where I would, I would warrant an adjustment to my exercise selection. If I felt like I wasn't getting the same stimulus out of that particular movement. Yeah. Can't say I've ever had that with squats though, because I don't really have many much hamstring and calf there, but I could definitely imagine it would uh, cause some issues. <laughs> that happens to Jack when he tries to like sit on the toilet. <laughs> his hamstrings are touching his calves he's like what the heck's going on especially at this body weight yeah the hamstrings are in the bowl <laughs> yeah you jack how you been uh things are pretty good like just plugging away at the surplus and i'm at about 92 at the moment which haven't been this weight in probably over two years i got up to 94 in like i think august or july or august of 2020 and uh, then I started my didn't, then I did a mini cart and started prep. So, yeah, getting approaching foreign territory and just noticing the physique uh, fill out in terms of like definitely gaining some body fat in areas which there would be usually be less body fat. But of course, I'm I'm completely okay with that, especially as I'm seeing a good jump in performance across most lifts. And yeah, nothing else to really report on. Probably won't be mini cutting. I'm not sure because we're, we're planning to go on a holiday in around June or late June. And I'm either going to push out the surplus all the way until then and just uh, mini cut after I get back, which would be a lot of time. Like it would probably be approaching like the triple digits if I, if I went for that long, which I don't know if I could do that appetite wise, but otherwise I'll probably mini cut around the 95 mark in probably uh, February or March. Where would the holiday be? Uh, it's probably in the US, so hence wanting to. Uh, I mean, I get to eat a lot of food at any point in the off season, so it's it's really just going to come down to whenever I want a mini cut. Yeah, looking forward to see like the Venice Beach photos, a hundred kegs. Climbing <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the ropes at hundred kilos, it's not going to happen. Or tear a bicep or something. Yeah, yeah. Roll into Venice. Um, what is it? The Gold's Gym over there. Mm. They have they have some array of equipment there it looks wicked Michael yeah. Hearn there though you might be able to train with him yeah a couple of natties getting after it yeah um what, what cows are you on now Jack obviously like you you pushing the highest body weight you have pretty much for mm. a long time yeah they, they honestly haven't changed too much which is interesting and probably because my activity hasn't really changed too much it might even be a touch lower and it's around 4300 at the moment so like 650 carb 70-ish fat to 75 protein hungry on it uh, i've i've converted one meal to a shake so i'll put it that way appetite <laughs> appetite isn't driving me too much at the moment it's all fun and games so you got you got the two meals that are shakes and then you know you're in some trouble <laughs> liquid yep. diet yeah so for myself obviously uh had a little bit of a holiday uh I would like to say it was good, but it definitely had some challenges, uh, which uh, I guess I'm going to put on the table. So when we were flying over there, um, obviously it was a long flight. It was like 20 hours of uh, flying. So my SI joint was just so absolutely like rattled. Like, yeah, I've had that previous injury there and it just flared it up so much. So then pretty much once I got there, like we, we kind of did a tour for like the first five days. Um, the reason I did it is because one, I didn't want to organize any like, you know, 
uh, travel or accommodation. I wanted it all sorted. I just wanted to go bam, 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 see all this stuff. And I pretty much had no time to recover. So my SI joint was just absolutely ruined for about six days. So that wasn't fun because every single step I took was just, it was real pain. It was probably the worst it ever had been. So that flight just absolutely parked it on me. Not only that, um, when we then went to Santorini right after, they lost our bags for two days. So we pretty much had no bags, no clothing for two days. And then right after that, Lani was pretty much sick with a chest infection for six days. So out of pretty much like the entire 19 days, I think about eight, nine of them are write-offs uh, with some sort of issue. So like I said, definitely did pose its challenges, but it was good. Like, you know, I got to see like um, Rome, like the whole of Italy, went over in Santorini, just some time to wind down. Uh, I definitely got a lot done with the six days that I was pretty much locked inside a, one of the little cave houses over there. I did all my programs up, <laughs> did all the work stuff. I was itching to come back, but yeah, it definitely had its um, its array of issues that came about. So it definitely probably wasn't the holiday that I was expecting. Mm. Did you get the chance to to train at all whilst you were away? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I pretty much took a band over, but like, there's only so much you can do with a band. I think every second or third day, I would always make it like a habit where I would at least pretty much like do set amount of exercise. So I think I would do three sets of push-ups to failure. And then I did like three sets of like pull-ups to failure. And then like some banded bicep curls with like tricep kickbacks. But that was like pretty much like the most I could do. I was stretching probably like every opposite day to that as well. Just, you know, making, cause I, like we were sitting so much in the, um like the apartment and we were doing so much walking around, like my calves, my like hip flexors were just so sore and tight from flying. So just did like a little bit of mobility, just basic stretching stuff. But mm. it, it, I think it's it, probably not a bad thing to take a little bit of time off. Right. Cause I mean, if anything, it probably just lights that fire for when you've come back that you want to really, you know, dig in, like rip into your training now and surely like, you know, a couple of weeks of not getting in some session is sessions is not going to oppose the many, many years of training and providing an adequate stimulus in the past. Right. So yeah. I think it's something that a lot of um, athletes can fret about like, Oh, I'm co- you know, I've got a holiday coming up and like, what should I do for training? Oh my God. It's like two weeks. Like, am I going to backtrack? And it's like, not really like just mm. enjoy that time while you're away and we'll, we'll hit it hard when you get back. Yeah, that was like kind of my approach because I did have like a couple of little niggly injuries. So I was like, well, what I'm going to do is I'll pretty much take like the entire three weeks off training, like anything serious, like anywhere near like failure, apart from like some basic level like push ups. But I just pretty much wanted to recover and then, you know, come back like fully refreshed, like motivated, ready to train. And not only that, just like resensitized in terms of like hypertrophy. So, um, you know, starting all my volumes a lot lower now, hopefully that can like, you know, delay some like niggly injuries, especially starting with like a lot lower training loads and sets and actual reps. So um, this week I pretty much did like full workouts, like an upper, lower, upper, lower. I just started with the actual sets per muscle group really low. I think I pretty much did like four sets on like my major movements, like my quads, my chest and my back, um, on each workout. And then, um, so that way, obviously I didn't dive in. I wasn't just absolutely crippled with soreness. And then next week I'm pretty much going to get a program done up. Um, I'll probably like, you know, amp it up and then just slowly dwindle down the RIR and increase the amount of sets and reps as we go. Cause yeah, I just didn't want to pull up. And the next thing you know, not be able to walk for an entire week. But the uh, SI joints a lot better now after finally getting back, you know, training, getting some basic movements, being able to do some like rehab for that. Um, but yeah, other than that, every, everything's kind of smooth now that I'm back. I pretty much run, I, pre- oh, I ran like a deficit for the first two days when I got back because I just wanted to see where my body weight would settle at. So I think it was only about like half a kilo up from where I left off, which, you know, isn't too bad. So I've gone to what I think would probably be around about my maintenance cows. Um, and then I'm just going to see how my body weight responds over the next week or so. And then I'll make changes from there, but I'll be pretty much going into a surplus over Christmas. Well, D.Y., <clears throat> there's some, some quick fire mandatory holiday questions. First one, what was your favorite site that you saw or favorite place? And then second, what was the favorite thing that you ate whilst abroad? Mm, favorite site i think it's probably going to be the most obvious one which is probably like the coliseum 
that was just super interesting just like seeing how big it actually is and like when you go in like a tour in there and like you know you see everything that's actually gone down there and like how long it's been there for and like when you think about it they ran games in there for like nearly like 550 years which is like absolutely crazy like you know like australia hasn't even been well has been around for that long but like you know hasn't been like occupied by us for that long, you know, but so it's like, it's crazy to think how long like games were played in there and how long it actually lasted, which is uh, crazy. Uh, Cause I do like that history side, but then like, even like down like the Amalfi coast, like in Italy as well was like super nice. Um, the pizza was good as well, which I was probably going to say would be the next best food. One thing, the, the thing is like the pizza was good. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The pizza was good. But I just feel like anything that is like Italian, you just don't get it bad. Like you don't really get a bad pizza. You don't really get like a bad croissant or anything like that. Like I think we had croissants like nearly every day for breakfast. It was just like on their buffet. They would pretty much have that out and like all the little pastries and same with the pizza. You just don't really get it. That's bad. It's like everything is like at a very good level. But for me, I like, you know, like the, I guess, westernized like, you know, food in terms like the pizza. So after a while, you get very sick of margarita, I'll tell you. And that's like the most popular pizza. So you, you really hate it after a while. You know, I just want some meat lovers and a zinger box. Is it that hard? Yeah, I think ooh, I think I saw one one KFC and was at the airport. That was pretty much it the entire time. So, But the Euros were good over on Santorini as well. I think I had one every day. So they made a lot of money on me. All right, let's move it along. I want to dive into the uh, WMBF wrap-up. What do you boys think? There was a bunch of big boys there. Butter taking back the uh, round two, back-to-back world champ. Mm. Yeah, didn't didn't Butter also beat Meshack, didn't he? he? I think he beat him in a comp a uh, couple a week of weeks prior to, right? Like, mm. I know Meshack didn't compete, obviously, at the WNBF. But um, that kind of goes against me being like, yeah, he can never be beaten. Yeah, <laughs> he obviously yeah. got, got beaten in that lineup. So yeah, Bada has a very impressive physique. Absolutely. Just absolutely peeled and um, a very large, large dude. That's for sure. So um, he was probably the deserved winner, I believe, in that overalls for sure. It was he just looks so much bigger, well. hey. Yeah. Mm. He looks unreal. And he's got such good symmetry. I guess that's what you could probably argue with Meshack is his arms are just so the size big. of his legs, basically. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. So when you have get put next to someone, I guess like Butter, with insane symmetry and like you know definitely doesn't lack in that muscular development part. Like he has huge legs, and like you said, DC is absolutely peeled to the bone. Like he's definitely up there with like the most condition there. Mm, yeah, I'd love to see him up against. Um... Uh, what's his name? Our boy. Oh, I've gone, gone blank with his name. Babakar. Um, Babakar. Yes, Babakar. We mm. speak about him almost every damn podcast. <laughs> How could I forget his name? Yes, I don't. I don't actually know if they've they've competed against one another. I've not seen them in a lineup before. Maybe maybe they have. I'm not sure. But mm. the question is though, like, is is Babakar? Is he still natty? Because we were having this debate in the group chat the other day. Like, he looks massive. Like he's so big, and he like uh, even compared to like his last world's showing, his legs look like they're twice the size. Like, it's crazy. And look, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he he is, because if anyone's got the, you know, the genetic ability, it's Babakar. We all know that. But yeah, it just I just want to know. Because he hasn't competed in a natural fed for a while now. Um, but that being said, he pretty much took out every single natural thing you could take. There's, no, there's nothing left on the table anymore. But like, if he is still natty, which I hope he is, but like, you know, he looks absolutely insane. Like he'd be undoubtedly the goat if he looks as good as he does right in those pitches pretty much right now. Like mm. there's not many that you could compare to that. There was also that un- uh, other lad that was in the um, pro middleweight. He looked absolutely unreal as well. Um, he was going against like Alberto and so on. Mm. Was it Gary? I think. I think so. He was featured mm. on like Natty News Daily just recently as well. Yeah, he looked unreal. Yeah, yeah, mm. he, he was peeled to the bone. It was mm. that. I know that WNBF they they did have like a live stream or a broadcast. I didn't get the opportunity to see it. I don't know if you boys did, but I do wish that they were a little bit more vocal on their social media side of things because mm. I was trying to you know look throughout the weekend to see who was placing. And I mean, if you look at their Instagram, like the most recent post is like. 
core meals or <laughs> it's like yeah. a meal prep company or something like that. They did actually post recently um, the pro women's bodybuilding, a few of the competitors there, but they haven't posted anything in relation to like who placed and all that sort of stuff. And I would, I mean, as a, an avid follower of the WNBF, you know, outside of America, you've got people that want to want to see that stuff, right? We want to know who placed. It creates hype within a federation. So the live feed looked quite good though. Like yeah. I'd saw it on some people's story. I was at work, so I didn't get a chance to watch like the meat of the show. But from what I saw, the quality of the feed actually looked fantastic. Mm. So who actually won pro cards on that day? I'm a bit confused at how they award them. Um, because I, I, I don't think any... it's the winner of each weight class, is it? Or, or I could be wrong. I, I believe it's the winner of every open class nearly. Like I think unless there was someone that was really not deserving of it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the winners of the open class because I know that um, Dirk like won like previous year, right? He won his pro card because he won the was it the sh- the the middle the not the middleweight the short short yeah. short class yeah wasn't the bantam I think it was the the, sh- the lightweight the sh- yeah the lightweight class yeah so I'm pretty sure it's the open winners from each each class that wins their pro card but yeah. it's interesting how like they have their pro show first right and then they have the amateur show after. Common, mm. almost quite similar to what like for example icn did recently where they ran their pro show you know at the start of the um like day one and i think that's probably a good thing like i mm. think if i you, like that yeah like if you win your pro card it's like okay won my pro card back to the drawing board now now i have to work towards my pro debut rather than kind of stepping straight onto the pro stage like there's nothing really wrong with that in essence but i think it just does help to solidify okay this is the pro show of our of our pros and then you have the ability to win a pro card, come back for the pro show at another season. Yeah, because yeah, I was there for it. And I don't know. I think it I think it should be the other way around. I reckon they should have like the amateurs run it first and then they do the pros um, after. Because like you, how often are you going to go to like worlds like New York? Like you're only going to compete every two years. And it's like you get your pro card. Now you got to wait a whole nother two years. It's like, if you're there and you just won your pro card, like, you know, having the chance to step it up right there, there might be people that, you know, are pro worthy on that day and pro world champion worthy. And then it's like, well, now you got to wait a whole nother year or two to go back. So Mm, I do, I do. I definitely see the logic in that. Yeah. And I think there's pros and cons. Absolutely. And you're so right in relation to like, you know, then having to wait however long, like what if you win your pro card? I know with WNBF, I think it's a two week, two, sorry, two week, two year um pro status period where like you need to compete within that time frame to retain your pro card Mm. so you know if you imagine you wanted to take a three-year off season then you wouldn't be able to come back and you know creates that time 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 component to come back into the pro show yeah it's hard for like i guess australians as well like you know we go over there and we might crack like a second in like an open amateur and then you're like, shit, you know what? I'll come back in like two years. And then you might win your pro card. And they say, all right, well, now I've got to wait another two years so I compete as a pro over in the WNBF. So it's like, you mm-hmm. know, if you slightly miss out, I know um, Beck Johnson did. She ended up, I believe, coming second in her open class. It's like so close to becoming a pro to then maybe doing it again. But now it's like, if she ever wants to do that show again, she's got to do like another two shows before she can compete as a pro. So it does make it a lot harder more or less the same as Lisa Reed as well. Like, I guess she never got to fulfill her chance to compete as a WNBF pro. Mm, That's very true. Yeah, absolutely. I I do wonder when WNBF, uh, you know, starts obviously here in, here in Australia, whether there'll be some sanctions for some of the pro athletes that have won their, like their pro cards in recent years, because obviously with COVID and everything like that, it's prevented a lot of people from actually going over as pros to compete over in the U S right. So within that time frame, you would lose your pro card, which is kind of unfair in a way, considering that you haven't had the opportunity to compete. So I'm wondering if they'll maybe bring some sort of sanction into place where maybe maybe these individuals actually get their, their pro card back. Because Nicole is a is a pro as well, bikini pro. Yeah. So um, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not nice to lose that status, right? If you don't, I think it's silly to too. Like I understand you want people to compete regularly, but in natural bodybuilding you're obviously going to have a small amount of pros like that's how it is it's not like the the pro lineups for the natty feds are just through the roof unless we're talking about you know like a WMBF world show or something like that so i just don't understand why you'd have you know something to deter someone from competing or something that's going to allow you know for the best competitors not to be there because you might have someone turn pro and they think okay i'm going to go back i'm going to get in the lab for three or four years so i can come back 
and be a really good natural pro, but then you're telling this person they've got to rush their off season so that then they can come back in two. Like, I understand we want people to compete, but I just don't think that's very fair for the athletes. I agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see the benefit of losing losing a pro status. I mean, I don't know, maybe obviously people like Bob Bell who runs the WNBF um, worldwide, I think he's probably got his reasons for that and probably very valid reasons as well. It would be interesting to know what, what, what the reason for that is. Well, I, I guess the reason behind it is I guess they've got to have a limit. Like, you know, if you were to just keep your pro card as a lifetime, what's to say that, you know, you can't come back 10 years later, look absolutely shit. And then, you know, shit the bet on a pro stage and then it makes them look bad. Or I feel like two years or maybe like three years, if I was being, I was probably something around that, like, you know, at least you have a chance to like the chances are your physique's probably going to be still good after three years. Now after 10 years, now again, you know, I don't know what the hell's happened in 10 years. So, so just comp- keep competing every two years. And then when you're 70 years old and you've competed last when you're 68, you can just keep competing. Yeah. What was like, it in the BNBF? I think it was over in um, London or England. Like they had that one guy and he was an older lad. He, he would have been over 50 for sure in the pro lineup. Like he probably would have been 55 and he, he looked really good. So I take it he's been competing like every two to three years. Mm. Yeah. I mean, from my knowledge, I thought as long as you paid the WMBF fee or whatever, you kept your pro card each year, regardless of whether you competed. It could be wrong on that. No, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure you do lose it because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Nicole being a pro is like well, well aware of that. We've had so many conversations about it. Mm. But what about like, see this is also the confusing part like does icn require you to pay an annual fee to keep your pro card yeah um, they do i i assume so i mean i i pay my annual fee just because i, I want to support the federation but I, I actually don't think about that but it would make sense right like you're yeah you're still committing to the sport in a way um, yeah and look I'm, I'm all for like you know individuals making their choice of you know do you still want to pay in order to support the sport and like that's awesome but like when you think about it, like, is there like, what are you getting for that? Like, are you purely getting your card or the admin stuff associated with that? Like, I don't really understand yeah. like what the reason is for paying to keep a pro card when there's not necessarily, you're not necessarily getting anything for it. I agree with you. But Notoriety, I think that's what you're getting. Yeah, it's yeah. in the bio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, $200 a year to keep it in the bio. Yeah, to get that little plaque that DC's got behind him right there. Yeah, it's gonna cost you. <laughs> if you miss a payment, yeah. they come get it from your house. <laughs> well, I think it's like I don't know if they do it, but I know in some feds they do random drug testing, and apparently on our like thing that we sign when we take the pro card, that we can be randomly drug tested. So maybe they might carry out a few yeah. tests like that. So that like sense. you know, if they were to test one out of five people and they have to send someone to the house get their drug test, it's like you know I don't know how much that might cost but maybe a couple of people's memberships might be able to take that into uh you, know, you also get free access to the shows as well yeah yeah exactly so that little you just, need, you just need to go to 10 shows a year and you got your fee covered isn't it like 50 is it what's the entry fee oh, i don't even know i think it's like 40 or 50 so you know it doesn't mm. take many shows five shows and it's all paid off there big jackie i mean potentially three shows then <laughs> yeah exactly. all right let's move on to the next question um I actually have this one, but I want to throw it over to DC. Training differences from men's physique to bodybuilding. Why do I look like a stick when I train double as hard as you? I want to know. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, Joey's just not considering those differences in... in no, yeah, I'm just kidding. But um, look, length. I, I think it's more specific to the individual, right? In terms of the key areas that they need to work on to improve their physique. Like, yes, I would look at men's physique and I would look at bodybuilding and they're unlikely going to be some differences in relation to the structure of a plan. Like perhaps within a men's men's physiques program, there may not be as much of an allocation towards, let's say, lower, lower body as a premise. But I still do think that regardless of the differences between men's physique and bodybuilding in terms of a competitor on stage, you need to look at your you need to look at your athlete in front of you to be able to identify what are the key areas that they in particular need to work on to suit this desired category. So, I mean, I'm going to throw it over to you boys as well, but I look at someone's program. I look at the category that they're doing, but I'm still mostly assessing what needs to be brought up based on what's in front of me and not just what is template to Mm -hmm. men's physique in general. Right. So someone may, 
lack that that delt development and but that may be that that has the same carryover to someone who's stepping on stage as a bodybuilder or a men's physique athlete if someone has a, a an asymmetry in a certain area i'm going to want to try and improve that and i often think that the competitors that are going to do well in men's physique versus in men's bodybuilding almost have genetic proclivities towards either one right that's probably what's going to create that that definition but at the end of the day, I'm going to construct a program around someone's weak, weak points as opposed to just solely focusing on the men's physique category. What do you boys think? Yeah, I'd agree. But I mean, the caveat there is the lower body. Like if someone has asymmetry and in terms of their, or their lower body might be underdeveloped, then if they're doing men's physique, like I'm, I'm potentially not going to give them two lower days to try and help bring up their lower body. Like if they want to do men's physique and they're confident in that, then I'm probably going to give them uh, one, one lower body day when traditionally I'd give a bodybuilder two. Mm, absolutely. And then in terms of like allocating, let's say higher volumes towards like, let's say let's look at like a bodybuilders program. And then let's look at like a men's physique program. And if you're getting that individual to train, let's say, you know, five days per week. And let's say the bodybuilder does three uppers and two lowers and the men's physique athlete does, you know, um, four uppers and, and one lower or something like that. Like that may be a viable solution, but obviously you need to ensure that that, that men's physique athletes can can recover from four upper days in a single mm. a single week, right? Because like not like more volume is not necessarily always the solution in terms of a, a program structure. Mm. Um, so, but I do I do completely agree. That's why I said you know in terms of like a men's physique athlete, they may not need to bias their lower body as much. But I still do look at competitors in men's physique, and if I feel like their legs are very small. Like that stands out, right? Although it may not be assessed specifically in terms of the criteria, I believe it still adds into someone's overall uh, like symmetry when they're they're there on that stage. So I still do think at the end of the day, you're you're biasing your program based on the individual that's in front of you. I think with the asymmetries and stuff like that, with like the men's physique competitors as well, it's like a lot more apparent because like you're already missing half your physique. So it's like, if you have underdeveloped chests, oh, well chest, um, like, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be noticeable, especially like in a men's physique division. Cause it's like one of the five muscle groups that are pretty much being judged where it's like, I guess in a bodybuilder, you know, you've got the whole lower body to judge as well. So I guess, you know, making sure the whole upper body is a lot more proportionate. Like, I guess you can also, like what you're saying, Jack, like, you know, pulling some of the recoverable volume from your lower body sessions to then allocate it to your upper body sessions, mm. especially mm. if your sole goal is going to be men's physique. Then, mm. you know, as long as you can recover from that increase in training volume, right? Yeah. Well, what I'll usually do is like, let's say they have four upper and one lower. I'll typically maybe do, let's say for argument's sake, two push, two pull and a lower, like... I'll, I'll lower the volume on the on the pull and push anyway. So like maybe similar exercise numbers, but lower set volume potentially so that they can recover between them. And also I find that that helps the session, the whole session quality be higher without kind of digging them a pit of fatigue. And that way they still have good frequency, good total volume, but not excessive amounts. Like doing maybe training two sets as opposed to maybe three sets if they did a full upper body session. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if we look at something like a men's physique athlete and or, or sort of the golden standard for a men's physique, you know, what are the key areas that they really need to have on stage to present well? Usually it's, you know, very capped delts, mm. a very small, like a very small waist to create a very large V taper. From the rear, it's a very wide back, right? A very strong and wide back to create more of that X frame. Uh, usually it's large arms, rounded muscle bellies, like all that sort of stuff. I mean, you can like that description there is exactly what, it, what, what would do well in, in a bodybuilding stage as well. Right. You can't mm. deny that you need cap delts, wide back, large chest, large arms. The only difference is that less of a bias towards the lower. So that's, mm. that's probably the solution to this answer really. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I must say as well with men's physique, I, you really do need to have some top tier genetics for it. Like you can't be doing men's physique and do really, really well with a thick waist. Like your waist size has such a big, like, you know, plays such a big factor to pretty much how you're going to place nearly on stage. Like if you have a thicker waist, it pretty much, if you watch the Olympia, like if you have a thick waist, you're pretty much ruled out of the top 10. 
like you might be able to carry over with a lot of the other stuff where like, you know, bodybuilding, like, you know, you can get away with having a thicker waist if everything is just so big, if that makes sense. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I could uh, see you doing uh men's physique DC. You've got a small waist capped outs. <laughs> yeah. Big chest. Well, I've actually got quite a few men's physique um, competitors at the moment. So I've been practicing a lot of the posing. Cause I'm doing mm. a lot of the posing stuff in, in, um, in check-in videos. It's actually a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I would jump on the men's physique stage. I, just, I don't know if, you know, now that I've done bodybuilding, That'd be funny yeah. to see. But you might, you might be the only ICM maybe. pro men's physique and pro bodybuilder if that happens. Let's do it, man. Yeah. 2025. <laughs> gonna need some, some custom-made. Bodybuilding and, and men's <laughs> Gonna need some custom-made bodies though. Like what? Like probably about a 40-inch around the glutes and then, you know. Just to fit that dump truck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get marked down. Asymmetrical. Too big ass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next one I want to throw over to Lawrence. What's your current like off-season weight versus like I guess your on-season weight? Like what's the difference between it? And then I guess some of us other boys can then answer like, you know, what do you think is acceptable to uh, lose throughout a prep? Yeah, so I think the heaviest I got up to this off-season was sort of pushing around the 96s. But then in this recent push, it was more like 94 and a half, 95. And I think that's probably quite a sensible thing to do in my situation where I knew I was probably going to get in two or three mini cuts before then starting another contest prep. Because I think getting a little bit further away from your stage weight is probably not a bad idea to do in that first push up because you have so long before you need to even think about a prep. So, you know, you push up, you get a bit heavy, who really cares? You're probably going to diet twice before you even think about getting into a prep. So, I, I think that's a pretty good way to think about it. But then if I think about where I'm at now on this recent push-up, like what is the point in me trying to surpass that to get to 97 or 98 when given like the proximity to actually having a competitive season, um, that's just more weight that I'm going to need to diet off for maybe not that much more in the way of muscle tissue gain. So I think being a little bit more sensible with the rate of gain in the back end of the off season, when you are getting closer to when you're going to need to drop the hammer for prep, I think is generally quite sensible. So yeah, I'm going to be around, you know, uh, well, this morning, I think I was 92.9 and hoping that I've gained, you know, somewhere in the realm of, of two to three kilos of stage weight in the last couple of years. And then that would, should see me on stage at somewhere between, you know, 82 ish kilos on stage carved up, which would be ideal. So for me, I, I'm hoping to lose, you know, no more than about 12 kilos in the prep. That's been pretty good for us in the past. And I think that'll, that'll be pretty good for us this time around. Um, especially given that the, you know, the habits with dieting and, and what we know that we need to do is pretty set in stone. Now, you know, we've done three preps before we know what the plan is going to be, but I think, you know, anything more than 12 kilos to lose, I just don't think would necessarily have us in a point where we could make sure we are 100% dialed in um, for show one, because I, I don't really want to have to be more aggressive than we need to be considering that it is going to be a long season. So we want to make sure we don't run out of gas at the end. So is your, how long is your prep in total? 16 it's, weeks, did you say? 23. 23. <laughs> okay. Were you like, oh, I was like, oh work. yeah, okay. We might, <laughs> we might need to have a conversation off air about this. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not coaching you, but yeah, that's okay. Cool. DC yeah, well, was yeah. about to bring the uh, Sharpie out to like fill the lines in on the glutes. Yeah. 12 those kilos in 16 weeks. Let's 12 get it, kilos boys. in 16 weeks. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, man. It's, it's <laughs> funny though, because that's how it used to be. Like you mm. never see preps normally over 16 weeks and now they just slowly get longer and longer. But obviously they have their reasons for that. But like, you know, uh, you, back in the day, like you'd never hear a prep going nearly over 20 weeks. Yeah. So mm. I think it is the norm now. Like even my first prep was 17 weeks. And I remember saying like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I'm going to diet for that long. And that just seems like, you know, malpractice now. So <laughs> no, DC, don't worry, mate. It'll be 23 weeks till show one, um, which will probably mean we'll end up somewhere around you know, 30 something weeks of dieting by the end. Mm. But, you know, I'm hoping that a lot of that <clears throat> fat loss is going to be done by, you know, show one, show two at the latest. And then it'll basically just be slowly trying to drip feed in some carbohydrates from then on in. 
Yeah, no, that seems more viable. Yeah. <laughs> how did you, you had him worried there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was shaking in his boots. I can't be on the potty with this boy. Glutes oh. would be looking like butter. Yeah, imagine I'm here like crash dieting. I'm like five weeks out on 1,100 calories because I'm not going to make it. DZ and you are all like, oh. we're, almost, good, almost he- yeah. we're almost hesitant to ask how prep's gone. Sorry, man. How's, uh, yeah, we might just skip, skip this uh, topic for today. Hey, yeah, how like, you going, boys? What are your steps at, Lawrence? Like 30K? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually had to quit my job so I can get the steps in. Still feeling full as fuck, but like we're pushing on. <laughs> full. Oh, man. What about you, Jack? What's your normal, I guess, starting prep weight than, I guess, ending prep? Like, how much do you normally lose over that? Yeah, so both of my preps were actually pretty similar. Like, they started around 88, 89, and I finished up around 76-ish as my lowest, or 76, 77. So about, what is that? 12 kilos, is it? 12, 13 kilos. Yeah. Yeah, so similar amount to Lawrence. But my peak weight was quite a bit higher than that at around the 94 mark. So I guess it's quite normal now for like to, to run like a pre-prep. So like reach your peak weight and then maybe do a pre-prep, start the prep a little bit lighter and then get into the prep itself. And that, that'll be the plan for next time as well. Like, to be honest, I'm not sure what my stage weight is going to be next time, considering uh, it'll be a very solid off season and big difference in the physique. So I'm hoping might be relatively similar, like 78 to 80 is what I'm anticipating, probably closer to 78. Um, so like ideally starting prep at around the 88 kilo mark yet again. Yeah, very mm. nice. I think you've also, like you said there, you've got the two different weights. Like you got your peak off season weight, where obviously you're eating large amounts of calories, like your training performance is absolutely through the roof, but then you've also got that pre-prep weight. So that weight that's probably going to put you in a lot better position the dieting so that way you don't need to spend an extra 10 weeks of dieting um because mm. my prep weight i think i've every prep roughly i've started around 85 kilos and i normally end up around like 90 so i actually gain i'm joking by the way <laughs> or you guys like scratching your head i was like what? Grow into nah, the show. Yeah, I normally grow into the show. Nah, nah so normally you start around 85 and then I finish at about 70, which is about like 15 kilos. But that being said, mm. I my, pre- my preps are very smooth, especially my last one. Um, I think that's probably just because I guess my lifestyle reflected that. Like, you know, being an online trainer, it's like I can pretty much mimic the perfect scenario for a prep. Uh, and I guess that just helped a lot in terms of you know like it really wasn't that much of a push especially for what i've heard from other competitors and so on like that like still maintaining like above two thousand calories the entire prep uh like eight thousand steps daily like i i don't think you could really (laughs) complain about it too much four zingers a day yeah yeah we had to cut them out two weeks out though didn't want any any issues yeah bro poor guy poverty macros only two (laughs) zingers a day yeah, yeah, that's when you know you're down bad. What about you, DC? <laughs> yeah, so my, I believe my starting weight for contest prep was, I think it was about 95. And sort of peak, I guess, peak off season weight for me typically sits at around like 97 ish. Uh, my weight, my lowest low in prep, I believe, was 78.8. And my stage weight was 80 kilos. So, you know, it was a good, good, good chunk of body, uh, body fat that I lost throughout, throughout that duration there. Um, moving into my next season, I probably will start a touch, a touch leaner. So rather than be 95, just commence my contest prep, I'll probably more so sit around the 92 ish. And that's, that's about 15% up from, from my stage weight. So I think about 15% up from stage weight is, is typically a good position to start your your contest prep obviously given that you've got ample time to prep with that timeline but i would probably look to have a similar prep duration so around 27 28 weeks and start at 92 and have about sort of 12 12 13 kilos to lose in that time frame i think would be would be ample so um and that would typically allow for me to include a little bit more in terms of restoration based strategies so perhaps a few more diet breaks within that and a little bit more time to, um, I guess, to, to kind of stretch out that last back end where I didn't have to pull so hard in those weeks preceding me jumping on stage to get that, that, that ideal stage showing. 
So kind of learn from, from previous preps and perhaps I benefit from slightly longer duration and just being a touch leaner as well. Yeah, well, I guess you've only truly had that one prep too now. So I'm sure you probably like picked apart some like tiny little 1% that you think that you can improve on for the next prep. Yeah, well, I mean, the first time I prepped in 2020, I was two weeks out. So yeah, yeah. like that to yeah, me- you that, never hit that stage. To me, no, that, mate, it doesn't count. Sorry, dude. To me, that's almost <laughs> there, right? Well, I, I definitely believe that the, the, the success of my recent prep lied upon the first prep I did because I learned a hell of a lot from that process. And it also gave- B and I a better understanding of where my stage weight would be basically for the planning of the, the next prep. So I definitely think that provided a hell of a lot of benefit. And, and then you, you know, you learn from every prep that you do. So perhaps even this coming prep that I, that I pursue just being a touch leaner might be, might be a little bit easier. Yeah. What I want to know is even though you didn't make it the stage on that first run, did you still have, bodybuilder in your bio even though technically you haven't stepped on stage and you had to pull the pin <laughs> I sometimes body- i see bikini competitor in there and they haven't even stepped on stage you yeah, know? yeah 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 well i actually did feel somewhat of an imposter syndrome actually <laughs> between between that season and then my, my last season because i didn't actually i didn't actualize that goal of stepping on stage so in my mind i wasn't a bodybuilder like i was a recreational bodybuilder but I wasn't a competitive bodybuilder. So I wasn't going around to anybody saying I'm a bodybuilder or anything like that. I mean, look at the end of the day, it's splitting hairs. It's just a fucking, it's just a I'm fucking a, word, isn't it? But like, messing but like, with you. I didn't mean you to get riled up. <laughs> I'm not riled up at all, but it's actually a good question. Cause you know, I don't want to deter anyone else out there. That's a first timer to not call themselves a bodybuilder. Cause like they are taking in bodybuilding, right. With the intention of competing. So look, call yourself whatever you want, mate. You just can't put competitive in front of it though. There you go. There you uh, go. That's the only. <laughs> um, next question. Intermittent fasting uh, for cuts and the risk associated. I'm going to throw this over to Jackie boy. Yeah. So I think it may, to me, it mainly depends on the extremity of the cut. Like, uh, like how extreme is it? What sort of body fat you're getting down to? Obviously in a prep, we want to kind of employ all of the nutritional strategies at our disposal to try and prevent muscle loss and part of that is going to be probably not intermittent fasting because it extends the fasting window and it uh, reduces the i mean the opportunity to get in uh, protein to spike muscle protein synthesis so not something i'd employ or recommend for for bodybuilders in uh, extreme deficits but i mean for someone who just wants to lose some weight and they're going to go from maybe like 25% body fat to 15, then sure. Like, I mean, is it still something I'd recommend? No, but if it helps you adhere better to the process and realistically, are you going to lose much muscle dropping from 25 to 15%? Probably not, but maybe 12% and below, I'd probably not recommend intermittent fasting. But as a coach, like it's it's something I usually try and recommend um, regardless of of what body fat they are is is a fairly easy thing to do to not intermittent fast. But if that sort of modality really does help you with the process, then that's something to consider. Don't you think that like intermittent fasting is it's often used as a strategy to assist with, you know, hunger in the sense that it, it kind of reduces that eating window. Mm. Um, and a lot of individuals, I think report that they have re- reduced hunger in general by fasting in the morning. But I, it's interesting because I think a comp prep competitor in the last component of their contest prep, like, I mean, you can probably speak on behalf, Jack, like if you went more than four hours, four hours, five hours of eating within that window, you'll probably want to murder the person next to you, right? <laughs> there is no benefit to fasting in, in a contest prep towards the later end of, so maybe if you've got ample body fat levels in the off season and you're doing a slight cut, I think intermittent fasting might be a great strategy, but man, you're going to be eating your fingers at that point, right? Mm. Probably <laughs> feel a bit hypo as well from experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Could like start with an intermittent fast and then pretty much just give them an extra hour every three weeks, push forward the first meal as like a reward system. But don't a lot of people tend to do that in prep. They try to delay that first meal to like 10 a.m. or something. But I don't know about you guys, but even the off season, like I will always wake up with, you know, at least somewhat of an appetite. Like I have to eat first thing. Like I, I don't like to get up and then sort of do stuff and then only eat like, one or two hours later or three hours later, I have to eat like pretty much on wake. 
Yeah, mm. I, I know it's pretty much as soon as I wake up, like I'm nearly hungry. And I even probably have like a big meal before I even go to bed. So definitely. I'm not the same. Hence, I drink a shake. It's the only <laughs> shake that I have. <laughs> Maybe like peak, peak off season. I'm just a man of convenience though. Like, you know, just a bagel in the morning, a protein shake. I'm already on the liquid diet. Mm. <laughs> True. Jack's going to be blending bagels in three weeks. Just <laughs> anything to get it. Jack well, he's gonna have like to a start Milo like suppositories, mate. Mm. Just anywhere to get those cows in. Get them on an <laughs> IV drip. As I sleep. At ultra convenience. Mm. Yeah. Bit of pure carbs from Gentech. Use code general for 10% off straight into the bloodstream. <laughs> yeah, I'll Lawrence, be running the Gentech one. I love it. The pure what? carbs. Lawrence, you said like um, delaying that, you know, that first meal is often a strategy for a lot of competitors. I wonder if it's more to do with delaying the first meal based on it being at a similar time of day, but you just wake up at 3am every day. Yeah, that <laughs> so, is true. So by yeah. definition of like intermittent fasting, you simply just awake during that period of time where typically in the off season, you would just be asleep, right? <laughs> like that's the only difference. I mean, some people would use, would use intermittent fasting in a prep to, to a degree, I think, but um, yeah, <laughs> probably just from waking up a little bit earlier in your mm. day. Hey Jack, 3am starts. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't eat for four hours. And then I eat my breakfast four hours after I wake up. It's like, yeah, you're still eating at 7 a.m. Like, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is still, still normal, normal time, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just got my 10,000 steps done before I ate it. Yeah. All right, we will, uh, this will be the final question. Things that have worked in previous preps that haven't really worked again. Um, I guess I'll take the lead on this. Uh, with this, it depends, like as long as you've got the fundamentals in line, obviously being in a calorie deficit and so on like that, you shouldn't really have too many issues with that being said, like, you know, if someone wants to have a prep and they're now changed jobs where like, I guess the cycle or their, like some of their previous prep behaviors just aren't replicated or aren't able to be replicated, then I guess it's going to cause some issues. Like maybe last prep, they might've been able to have six meals and get 10 hours of sleep, but now they've had a kid. Um, they're now working a different job and some of those things just don't align. It's going to be very hard for you to be able to put in the same things that have worked in a previous prep to now in this new prep. Um, another situation, I guess is not the exact question, but I don't think about things that haven't really worked. I think about like with my previous preps, I always reflect back and think about what could have been done better in that aspect. Like when I originally ran my first preps, I don't know about you boys, but I did cardio instead of steps. Um, and my first two preps were a lot harder on cardio than when they were on steps alone. So that's something that I've changed. Um, something for my next prep would probably be starting with my body weight, a touch lighter. Like I just said that I pretty much dropped 15 kilos in that last prep. If I could maybe only drop anywhere from seven to 10 in my next prep and do a really good pre-prep phase, that could also set me up for a lot more of a successful prep phase. But what about you boys? You got anything to add on that? Mm, I don't think I've had anything that hasn't worked in a sense, but I definitely think that there's, there's things that you reflect on that you could, could have been done better. Right. So mm. yeah, I think potentially managing my sleep better towards the tail end of a contest prep, it was great towards the start and the middle, but towards the end, it was, it was not great. Uh, and, and, and we've talked about that on previous podcasts and whether that yes. can actually be improved or not, not entirely sure. I think I was doing everything in my power. It's just that I was hungry AF. I'll help you next time. <laughs> yeah, thanks, I'll have found man. a solution by then. Awesome. Happy days. I'll be relying upon you, Lawrence, and you, Jack, for, for some insights. I'm thinking BDU <laughs> slumber parties. That's <laughs> the only way. There you go. Um, yeah, but there's just things that you can you, I can reflect upon that that I can be more efficient with. Um, like, like as an example, starting a touch leaner, just like you've mentioned, DY. Um but even in terms of like the peak week protocol leading into the first peak of my uh, season, last season, and I just needed to be a touch leaner. So perhaps we just needed to be a little bit more assertive in that sort of last component of the prep. So I came in a touch leaner at Tropics. Um, but it's, you know, again, you, they're just things that you reflect upon that you, and that, that all ties into perhaps just starting a touch leaner, to, to be honest, I was pulling pretty hard towards the end. I don't think I could have pulled any harder. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Yeah. Similar answer from me. I think realistically it would mainly be the light to answer this question properly. Like something that worked in the past that didn't work again. Like it would mainly be the lifestyle component, as you kind of mentioned 
DUI if your if your employment changes or I don't know you go from being a student to uh, having a job like obviously when you're a student something that worked then isn't going to work when you now work a nine to five job in an office so examples like that potentially yeah without you Lawrence anything that you've changed over your preps or look backing on look back on that you would have changed yeah similar to you like the switch from structured cardio like on the incline treadmill um compared to the last one which was just prep uh stairs whoa none of that steps <laughs> somewhere in between those um but nothing has has changed that drastically i think that probably for me the biggest one is going to be seeing how i how i go in a prep with a job because i've never obviously this is my first year working full-time like my last two preps one was in high school and the other two were in uni so I'm not too worried about that, to be honest, because I'm probably the lowest stress I've ever been at the moment, just at, because the, the work-life balance is in a very good spot. So I can't see it being a massive issue. But then again, you know, towards the end, prep is, is tough. So I'm sure that there's going to be times where it's, you know, six o'clock on a, on a Monday, seeing the last couple of patients of the day where I'll, I'll probably have to slap myself around a little bit and tell myself to get the head in the game. But you know, that's what it's about. I think regardless of what you do, it's going to be difficult. So um, that'll be the biggest difference between this new one, but um, I think it will be okay. Yeah, very nice. Well, listeners, I think we're going to wrap that up here. First of all, I would like to thank you all for tuning in and it's been a pleasure being back. That's it. If you're able to leave us a five-star review, thank you.